the word of God. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is the word of God for the people of God. So, the last couple of weeks I've been asking the question, who is God to you? And we've talked last week about God the Father, and we, we really focused on all the amazing things that just are beyond our comprehension. How large the universe is, how large the world is, how incredible he is as the Father, as the head of it all, as the supreme being, sovereign, provident, above all. Today I want to focus on God the Son. Now, if there is any part of God that we can relate to the most, it's got to be Jesus, right? Flesh like us, bone and blood like us. Who could not relate to him? Reminds me of a story, and I apologize if I've used this story in the past. I really like it, so I may have, but there was a man, an older man, lived by himself. His kids were very concerned about him. He was an agnostic, which means he didn't not believe in God, but he just doesn't know. Agnostic means without knowledge, without knowledge of God. So he said, I just don't know about this whole Jesus as a son thing. and It just doesn't make sense. Why would God be a human being and come and live among us? He, he couldn't accept it. So one night in winter, he's by himself. He's sitting by his window, and he hears something hit the window. And he goes outside, and there's a storm blowing, and there's snow everywhere. And he, he sees a, a goose laying on the ground. It had hit the window and had fallen to the ground. And off in the distance, he sees all the other geese just kind of sitting there waiting. He's like, oh, this one must have been the leader, and they don't know what to do. So he picks up the goose, and he carries it to his barn. Says, it thinks it's going to freeze to death if I leave it out here. So he puts it in the barn, and he's going like this, come on, you know, waving all the geese along and saying, and they're just sitting there looking at him. You know, their leader's now in the barn. He thought, well, that would be enough, you know, just go in there. So he goes back inside, he waits and thinks, don't go in there. They didn't. They sat there and waited. He's thinking, I saved one goose. Now all the rest of them are all going to perish because it's so cold out here. He said, if there was just some way I could be like them, and show them how to get to safety, and then it hit him. That's what Jesus did for us. That's what God did. By giving him, as, as Paul told us, the fullness of the deity to dwell inside a person, to show us so we could relate to him. If that man could have become a goose, he would have made himself look like a goose and led them all into the barn. And that's what he realized. 
That's why God had to become a man. To show us. If a bright light just suddenly showed up and said, hey, follow me, we're all going to be like, what, what's that? Or if a, a giant being showed up and said, I'm God, follow me, we're probably going to be afraid of it. But when it, he became exactly like us, hair, eyes, nose, mouth, the whole thing, skin, bones, blood, we can relate to that, can't we? We definitely can relate to that. Now, this is where a lot of questions come in. And I, I, the last couple of weeks, I've been really trying to, trying to get this through to all of us. And I, I know some of us really grasp the concept well, but it's a concept that even the best of us still struggle with at times. How can God be three, but yet one? Well, if we turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, there is, this is the most famous saying in all of Jewish culture. If you're a Jew, this is the first thing you're taught out of the Torah, Deuteronomy 6.4. And it's known as the Shema, S-H-E-M-A, Shema. And this is what it is. In Hebrew, it's Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Now, does anybody know what that means? I don't think anybody speaks Hebrew. I don't even know if I did it right. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Hear, Israel, the Lord our God is one. Now, that right there, the Shema, what they're taught is one of the biggest reasons why the Jews will not accept Jesus as being the Messiah. That one verse right there is what got Jesus crucified. If we took time to go through Matthew and Luke and, and, and when the Jesus is before Pilate and all the conversations that's taken place, ultimately what got Jesus crucified was the fact that he said he and the Father are one. Actually, it was Pilate who said it, and he agreed. Jesus himself didn't say to them, but he agreed, it is as you say. And then he went on to say, I and the Father are one. They called that blasphemy because God's only one. There's only one God. There's not parts of God. There's one God. That's it. It's over. One God. Yet all the way through the Bible, that the, the Torah, especially, that the Jews know so well, God is saying, look, it's us. It's me. It's Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit. We're all one. It's that Trinity concept that we often struggle with. But regardless, that is what is the, the thing that kind of breaks the tie between Christianity and Judaism. But there's more. Jesus, 88 times in the Gospels, 88 times, referred to himself as the Son of Man. The Son of Man. 
And only a handful of times was he known as the Son of God, and typically it's in the book of John. So what's the difference between Son of Man and Son of God? Well, let's talk about Son of God first. Now, Son of God is also another reason why there are, yeah, I'm going to use the word cults in this world, that deny the deity of Jesus. I am the son of Phil. Yes, I got my dad's name. All the men here are the son of someone. Right? We are that person's son. We are separate beings. Separate beings. My dad was 25 years older than me. He's now passed. But we were separate. I'm still living. He's passed. But when we talk about the Son of God, we need to be careful. What we do a lot in our, in, in our lives is we take words, we read the Bible, we read it in English. English. That's what we understand. I read to you, purposely read, though I didn't do it very well, Hebrew, because that's what the, the book was written in. Deuteronomy was written in Hebrew. And if I was reading from the New Testament, I might read it in Greek because English doesn't always fit right. Or, you know, we, we get these things in our minds. When they wrote the Bible, they didn't know what the word Google was. Now it's in the dictionary. We know what Google is, right? We use words and we think of words, we hear words, and we think, oh, I know what that is. I know, you know, there's a place in Germany called Hamburg, but if I say Hamburg, hey, we're going to have burgers later. I'm not talking about a city, so what I'm getting at is we've got to be careful how we use our words because we can come up with connotations that's not what God intended. God wasn't saying, hey, this is my son, separate from me. He's saying, this is the son, the son, S-O-N, that is of God. Here's another example. I don't remember the exact verse now, but Judas was referred to as the son of perdition. There wasn't a man named Perdition who had a son named Judas. What he meant was, this is a son, a man, and he's of perdition. He's of deceit, violence, evil. To call him the son of God is to say he is God. He, his being, his, his entire being while on earth was that of God. So he was the son of God. You with me? He was also the son of man, and spoken of by himself. He says, the son of man must suffer. The son of man must die, and three days later be risen. The son of man, he kept referring to himself as the son of man, because he was of man. And by that I mean he took on the qualities of a human being. Not that he was born of a man. Joseph was his earthly father, but was not his biological father. So he was both son of God and son of man, in that he had all the qualities of God and all of the qualities of a human being. Why did God do that? Why would he do that? To show us the way. Because as being the son of man, he was perfect. He was 
when God created man in Genesis chapter 1, he created him good. Good is the word that he used. It means that he was exactly what God had intended. And we ruined it with our sinfulness. Adam and Eve ruined it with their sinfulness. And we inherited that. So now we are not good. But Jesus was that intention, that creation. He was that that was good and perfect and right and without flaw, without sin. And he was a model for us to follow. Think of someone that you really, really like a lot. You really look up to this person. Living or deceased, doesn't matter. Did you ever strive to be like that person? Did you ever strive to be as good as that person was, at least in your mind? You know, they had faults too. We all do. But you strive to be like that person. We all have someone, whether they're older or younger, a brother, sister, parent, cousin, uncle, someone that you just know, or maybe even a celebrity. Someone that you admire and you want to be like because you like the qualities that they have. They have qualities that you don't have that if I could just be like that person, hmm, my life would be different. That's what God intended Jesus to be for us. When we look to him and we see what he did, God said, they'll understand what I intended them to be. They'll understand what it means to be a child of God. A child of God. They'll understand and they'll want to be and they'll follow him. And when they follow him, just like that goose getting into the barn, they'll follow him to the cross, they'll be forgiven of their sins, and they can be with me in heaven forever. Right? So that's why he was the son of man and the son of God. He's the embodiment of all God intended humans to be. He came to show us, to teach us, to teach us how to live, how to give, how to sacrifice, how to relate to one another. Let me ask you something. You come across a woman who's caught in adultery, or a man, either one. We're not going to just pick on the women. You come across someone who's caught in adultery. How are you going to treat that person? Now, be honest with yourself. How are you going to treat that person? But if we look to Jesus, because he did, John chapter 8, he didn't condemn her. No. He didn't condemn her. You come across a person that has multiple spouses, how are you going to treat that person? You come across a person who betrayed you. He didn't say, you filthy little betrayer, go just get away from me. No, he goes, go do what you need to do. My goodness, this man showed love like no one else ever. And if we just even latch on to just that part of it, just the love part, whew, we can change the world. 
like, no, we're driving through the Walmart parking lot, and oh, I see a spot right up there, VIP spot right near the door, and next thing you know, somebody comes around and takes it, ho, ho, look out, right? Am I wrong? That's who we are. But when we can say, okay, that spot was meant for you, I'll go find another, that's when we're more like Jesus, and that's what Jesus would do. And that's what God wanted us to do. That's why he sent him, so that we would know how to live. He taught us how to sacrifice. Can you think of a sacrifice more ultimate than giving up your own life for the life of others? We have a hard time giving up that parking spot that's not even really ours. <laughs> we just laid claim to it. But there may be times, and there will be times, and there probably have been times, when God is going to call upon you to give up something that's near and dear and precious to you. And oh my goodness, it's going to be a trial to just let go of this. Can you do it? Can you do it? If, you've ha if you have children that are older, you may have already done this. As they leave the house, it's difficult. But that's part of the sacrifice. Letting them go to live their life. You, you, you nurtured and, and raised them. Now you have to let them go and pray that they will go on their own. That's part of the sacrifice. Maybe you have to give up a job, a home, a car, for whatever reason. Sacrifice comes in many forms. Can you do it? If you look to the Son of Man and his sacrifice, it won't be easy. It's never easy, but you can do it. You can do it. So when that day comes, remember the sacrifice that God has given through his Son. And the last point I want to make about what he did for us is he, he bridged the gap. If you take a piece of paper, I wish I'd have brought this. Now, in hindsight, I, I should have brought this. Write on it, God. Take another piece of paper, write on it, me. Put the two together and let go. What's going to happen? They're going to fall away. From one another. Or if you hold on to the one that says God, and you bring the one that says me, and you put it up there, oh, I hope it sticks. There it goes. But if you take a binder clip, you put the two together, and you put a binder clip in the middle, hey, look at this. Now I can be next to God. Jesus is that binder clip. Jesus is that binder clip that holds us to God. How? Why? What's the science behind it? What's the religion behind it? What's the... We may never fully understand. I mean, I can give you all the theological implications of it if you want to stay here for the next hour and a half or so. No, I won't do that to you. It would probably take longer than that. But just step out in faith and say, okay, God said, because of what Jesus did, I can be close to him. So I need Jesus to get close to God. And let that be your foundation, okay? And don't downplay it. Don't neglect it. Don't let it just be, yeah, it's just something that exists. 
Let that work in your mind every single day. You know why? Because if you work that in your mind and you thank the Lord for sending his son every single day, if you think about the sacrifice every single day, you think about the fact that I can be close to Jesus every single day, you think about it, you're going to be thinking about Jesus. You're going to be thinking about God. How do you establish a friendship? You think about the person. Hey, how was your day? Hey, I just wanted to call you and say hi. Send a text message. That's how we establish a friendship. And as we get to know each other a little better, we become closer friends, right? That's what you're doing with God. Because of Jesus, it's possible. Because of Jesus, we can have that relationship with God. Because he cleansed us. And I'm starting to get into the theology now. He cleansed us. He restored us. He renewed us. Whatever word you want to use, he made it possible for us to be with God. Symbolized by the fact that there was a curtain, a, a large curtain, the thickness of a human hand. That's, that's pretty thick for a cloth. Torn. So that we now have access to where God was inside the Holy of Holies and inside the temple and inside this room that only one person once a year could go into. And now it's just that is torn. We get to go in. Torn because there's no more separation. We can be with the Father through the Son. Now, I want to address one more thing before we finish today. And this came to me this morning, okay? Um, had my sermon all ready, and this came to me this morning, and, and God put it on my heart, and it actually came up this morning here at church, too. Someone brought this to me. John 3.16, if we read the King James Version, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Only begotten. There are people in this world who will take that word and say, and that's kind of what I was getting at with the whole English thing, begotten means that they were born of two parents. That's the English word. That, not only is that the English word, that's the old English word. How many of you go around saying, I'm begotten? <laughs> no, we don't use that word. The word in Greek, is, and I can't quite remember, monoglitus or something like that, regardless, it means having the same qualities of. Not being born of means having the qualities of. And it's used twice in the Bible. Twice. One in John 3.16 and another time in Hebrews when the writer of Hebrews is, is speaking of Jesus as the Son of God, it means having the qualities of. Begotten of God means having the qualities of God. Further defining the deity and humanness of our Lord and Savior. There's one other place that this comes in, and I want to read it to you. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. 
All things came into being through him, and apart from him, not even one thing came into being that has come into being. Very similar to what we read in Colossians, right? In the beginning was the Word of God. The Word being Scripture, being what God spoke into creation, being everything that is God. And he was with him in the beginning. And then it goes on to say, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory as glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is 100% God. 100% God. And God chose to come to earth as a human being. Does that mean heaven was empty? No. No. Well, wait a minute. I can't be sitting here in church and also be at Kroger. No, you can't. But you're not God. You're not God. It's that simple. Yes, he can be in heaven, and he can be on earth. He can be in heaven right now. God the Father and God the Son sitting together in heaven, and the Holy Spirit is in billions of people right now. Oh, yeah, he can do that. We can't, but he can, and he did. He became flesh so that we can get back to God. So... In closing, I just want to say that by faith, believing in something we cannot see and having the conviction that it's real, by faith, we believe that God came to earth as a human being to show us the way back to him, to show us how we should be, to show us where we go wrong, not to condemn us when we do go wrong, but to show us that we need him because we did go wrong. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, chapter 1. Or chapter 8, verse 1. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. You are not condemned. You are freed to be with the Father. So, two things I'm trying to do here is explain the Trinity and to help us Build that relationship with God, because next week we're going to get into the Holy Spirit, okay? And that's where things are going to kind of take off a little bit, because sure, we know God. We, we pray to God. We, we understand God. We, oh, oh, yeah, Jesus, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Holy Spirit, what is this? Is that that Pentecostal thing? No. No. Well, I'm evangelical. Well, okay. Holy Spirit is for everyone, but what is the Holy Spirit? Well, we'll talk about that next week, and from there we're going to branch off after I finish this series up. It's two more weeks. Next week we'll talk about the Holy Spirit, then the final week I want to bring them all together and show you an illustration, kind of like what I did with the sponge. I'm going to have a little demonstration for you that hopefully will help solidify all that we've been learning the last couple weeks and then, after I take a vacation, <laughs> we're going to get into the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So that's coming in July, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we have to understand who the Holy Spirit is and what the purpose and the point of the Holy Spirit is 
before we can really talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So I hope you'll stick with me until then. I think you'll enjoy it. So for today, just remember that the only begotten Son of God means that He is God. He is of God. He is God's Son, but He Himself is God. He is God, and that's important. Because if God created us, God's the one who's going to redeem us. God's the one who's going to give us salvation. God's the one who's going to ultimately be above all. So we need to understand who he is. So who is God to you? You getting a better, clearer picture now? After three weeks, four weeks, I guess it is? Three. <laughs> After three weeks, hopefully you are. And hopefully by the end, we'll really have a greater understanding of who God is to us. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your Son. There's no other way to really say it other than we are thankful for your Son. Without him, we'd be completely lost. We'd be wandering. We'd be harming one another. We'd be completely destroyed, left to our own devices. But, Father, you sent your Son to show us the way. You sent your Spirit to live within us. So we're so thankful. And pray that you will continue to teach us and guide us in all your ways that we can better understand all of who you are and all that you want us to be. Father, open our hearts and just pour in the knowledge and understanding. Fill up our souls with your knowledge, your spirit, your wisdom. Fill us till we are full and overflowing that we might change, that we might find freedom, that we might renew our minds, that we might be closer to you. Father, we ask this of you in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.